In a recent Harvard Business Review article on why inclusive leaders are good for organizations, authors Juliet Boric and Andrea Espirito write that companies increasingly rely on diverse, multidisciplinary teams that combine the collective capabilities of women and men, people of different cultural heritage, and younger and older workers. But simply throwing a mix of people together doesn't guarantee high performance. It requires inclusive leadership. Leadership that assures that all team members feel they are treated respectfully and fairly, are valued and sense that they belong, and are confident and inspired. Today, we'll discuss ways to become an inclusive leader and an advocate for our people. Welcome to the Behaviors Podcast with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Jamie Arroyo. Our intention for the Behaviors Podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. We're grateful to have Xavier Garcia Molina, a social studies teacher at La Academia Charter School, a co-founder of the LGBTQ Coalition here in Lancaster, and my future colleague as city councilor-elect with me today. Xavier, glad to have you with us. Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm really glad to be a part of this. Um, and I love the little piece that you just added about how this podcast is meant to help people find joy in like practical ways. I love that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. So before we begin on our topic today, I want to start off with hearing about your personal journey um, to where you are today. Some of my favorite superhero movies are always the origin movies about how the superhero came to be. Um, so I'm curious, Xavier, what's your superhero origin story? My superhero origin story is a lot of awkward stumbles into where I am today. I think my family moved to Lancaster when I was five years old. And we moved here because the healthcare system in Puerto Rico uh, was not great at the time to meet the needs that I had health-wise. And then uh, kind of growing up in Lancaster, we're a community that's like over 40% Puerto Rican, but there was something about living here, growing up here at such a young age, that I kind of never felt like I was Puerto Rican enough for my people, but also not white enough for my peers. So I kind of grew up in this limbo that I feel like a lot of people that kind of migrated here, similar to my family uh, at a young age, felt in a lot of ways. So growing up, I always felt awkward, felt out of place, and kind of was looking forward always to being an adult, to kind of getting to set my own path. So I was very much one of those like book nerds, always reading, always in the library, uh, to the point where I graduated from high school at the age of 15 and then kind of set forth to college with the idea of like shaping who I truly was to be as a person. Um, and I thought that that would be medical school for me. You know, I wanted to be like the next like Doogie Hauser or whatever his name is, <laughs> young doctor. I thought that would be pretty cool. Um, but I quickly realized that that was also just me trying to be someone who I wasn't. So I went to a human rights conference and that's kind of when the first light bulb clicked for me. And I realized that what I wanted to do was really be of service. And this whole theme of being of service really guided everything since that moment. So I studied international politics. I focused in human rights and graduated from college and started a job resettling refugees here in Lancaster. And that kind of trickled into a bunch of different jobs and social services 
where I really got to be down in the trenches with people who were struggling, who saw barrier after barrier when they were just trying to get ahead in life, to just have enough food, to be content, to have a job that doesn't suck, that you hate going to, you just want to be able to provide for your family. And so that's been in a bunch of different roles. I've been a sexual assault counselor. I am now a middle school social studies teacher at a charter school in the city. I've been an early intervention support coordinator, so helping zero to three-year-olds with developmental delays. So really just trying to be of service in my community and really learn what it's like um, to be kind of down on your luck and just needing assistance um, and someone to really empower you and realize that your worth is more than your circumstances. And really that theme of being of service has kind of led me to where I am now which I guess is my superhero moment of us kind of getting to be on city council and shape what this city looks like for the future. Definitely. And super excited to start that in January with you. Oh, um, so excited. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, congratulations again on becoming one of our newly elected city councilors. I think we have a lot Thank of work you. cut out for us, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so as a city councilor and, you know, having an important role to play in the city, how do you see inclusion specifically playing a part in the city's future success? So I think when we talk about success, we're talking about making decisions that lead to outcomes where it's beneficial to the group at large. So I think what's really unique about the opportunity that we have with us, not just because we're the youngest city council group to go into this, um, but we're also diverse in race, sexual orientation, and gender, all in one. And so what we're going to see in the future from the city, hopefully, is decisions being made that are informed with different perspectives and specifically the perspectives of the people that it's going to impact. So if we're making a decision about, let's say affordable housing, I am a middle school social studies teacher. I don't have a lot of money. Um, so I'm not saying that I am the lowest of income, but I'm also saying that like decisions that talk about affordable housing impact me because I'm renting a home. I can't physically afford to buy a house, um, but we're also talking about inclusivity. So if we're talking about policies that regard sexual orientation or even when we're talking about changing city ordinances to include the fact that maybe someday the president of city council will be someone that's not a male. It could be someone who's gender nonconforming. It could be a woman. So we're starting to make decisions from the perspective and including the voices of who it's going to impact. And I think that's something unique. Because oftentimes the decision, especially in politics that are being made, comes solely from the perspective of older white males. Uh, and we're starting to change that. Great, great. And you've also been instrumental in helping launch the LGBTQ coalition here in Lancaster. Uh, can you tell us how that came to be and what are the organization's hopes for the future? Yeah. So the idea of the LGBTQ plus coalition really started to take hold, I would say, around January. And it's because when you look around our community, we're very progressive and we like to kind of stand on that pillar of progressiveness, but we didn't have a center. Um, none of our colleges around here really had a center. So we needed something that would bring our community together, 
because oftentimes we're already othered from society in general. And then you add LGBTQ plus, and with our own community, we tend to divide ourselves. So we needed a place that would unite us as a community, that would integrate us into the community in a way that allows us to have fuller, authentic, and courageous lives, uh, but also a place that could provide services. Specifically, when we're looking at housing, when you look at the homeless youth that we have in the community, about 40% of them identify as LGBTQ+. So right there is just one need that we have that no one was really fulfilling um, and no one was appropriately kind of adequate enough or informed enough to support this community. Not saying that we don't have an organization in Lancaster that couldn't successfully do that, um, but we didn't have one whose mission was specifically oriented to that. So our goal really for the future is to be able to complete a community needs assessment so that we can find out what it is that our community wants from us and needs from us because I can stand here and say that really the top three things that we need to do is housing, food, and therapy, right? But that's just my circle and my viewpoint of what our community needs. So you really need to get voices from the community to decide what services we really want to spend all our resources in. So that's the first thing is doing a community needs assessment um, and then really working towards building a shelter because here in Lancaster City, when we're talking about homelessness, um, we're talking about shelter for the homeless, it's really not inclusive. Specifically, if we look at Water Street, it's a very oppressive environment for anyone who would belong to the LGBTQ plus community. And one of the things that I like about, at least when I hear the word coalition there, one of the cool things is the fact that it's it's a collaborative effort, it sounds like. It sounds right. like you're trying to get different stakeholders that should be working together to work on a common cause and find solutions for that. Um, yeah, exactly. The, and the second thing is also you guys are now a resource for potentially organizations that, you know, may be coming up against these questions mm-hmm. and, you know, never really had a place to go to before right. to answer this. And as we'll talk about later, there are some leaders and organizations that maybe that just might not be aware. Um, and now there's a resource out there that they can um, go to, to find out answers and hopefully come up with solutions in a collaborative way. And that is something that we're doing right now. Um, because that was the whole idea of choosing the name and being very purposeful and saying that we are a coalition because it doesn't matter what sector, it doesn't matter what industry or what community you belong to you will find LGBTQ plus people within your organization. Uh, So we all have a stake in this. We all have a responsibility to do our best to address this issue, um, which is inequality in terms of services, in terms of rights. We all have something to gain from working towards being more inclusive. And we do trainings as a coalition for different organizations and businesses that want to be informed about how to work with the LGBTQ plus community. Because whether you're a painting company, you will come across clients that are LGBTQ plus. If you're in healthcare, you will have to treat someone who is LGBTQ plus identifying. So we all have something to do in the work that needs to be done to go that extra step to get to a community that is rich in inclusivity. 
I love it. And, you know, one of the things you said is for all of us to be able to get to work. And that's what the one thing I love about inclusive leadership, because there's a lot of talk. And, you know, as we know, many organizations out there have taken diversity initiatives. Um, You know, they want the Mm -hmm. workforce to reflect their community. Um, And while that's a great first step, we've also seen that that hasn't allowed for a lot of different groups to actually have decision making power or at the very least be able to contribute to new ideas um, and really create an equitable and inclusive environment, specifically in the workplace. Um, And, you know, as we know, so in order for we as managers and executives and and leaders to really be inclusive, uh, we have to enhance our own self-awareness. So Mm -hmm. author Jennifer Brown calls the inclusive leader continuum, um, Mm -hmm. which is this idea where many of our leaders kind of fall within this spectrum from unawareness to awareness uh, to being active. And then hopefully where we want to get everyone to is to being an advocate. And right. when it comes to different types of bias, we, we all fall uh, with these assumptions somewhere on the spectrum, and our goal is to move along this. Um, so, Xavier, I'd like to walk through each of these stages with you to hear about Let's your perspective um, and really discuss ways that leaders can can move along uh, the mm-hmm. spectrum. So um, so let's start with unawareness as, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of us that may be unaware for lack of education on it or maybe a lack of experience with working with different groups. Uh, so if we want to get unaware leaders to become more aware, mm-hmm. how what are some ways that we can do that? I think the unawareness to awareness phase for me at least is the one thing that an individual can set the intention of going to that next level and doing it themselves for the most part because we're living in a community and a society right now where this conversation is being had in all circles so i think one of the best things to do is if you are going to claim ignorance which i don't think being ignorant is at all Um, A bad thing is just saying you don't have the awareness yet um, to speak to this or to move about this conversation. And so I think the number one thing is to just whip out your phone and start asking the questions that you have and finding the information. Or if you have a friend or if you have a coworker, it's having the bravery to say, I want to learn more about this. Right now I know that I might not say the right thing, but what can you teach me so that I can be better? Um, Let's take LGBTQ plus issues, right? So the whole idea of pronouns is something that can be tricky for a lot of people. They don't understand the use of the word they, right? Or why someone cares so much about their pronouns. And so asking someone, hey, like, could you explain to me what the pronoun they means? It's a question that would not offend someone. And if you offend someone, it's having the bravery to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Um, But it's making the conscious decision to ask questions, um, whether that's to your cell phone or whether that's to someone who you believe is a safe person to ask these questions to. Definitely, definitely. And I think one of the key words there is being curious. So mm-hmm. when you're in the unaware stage, how can you become more curious to ask questions and right. um, and have a little bit of courage to do that? And I think, you know, folks are more willing to uh, provide answers or hopefully guide you in the right direction if you're curious and, and mm-hmm. as we all want us to move along this. Um, 
So once we're in the awareness stage, which I think a lot of leaders are, there's a lot of organizational right. leaders that are aware that demographics are changing, the workforce is more diverse than ever, um, but they're not quite sure they they're not quite sure what to do about it, how to create the environment, or how to be more active in in this. So, what are some ways that organizational leaders can you know if they're aware, um, they can be a little bit more active in their approach. So I think this is a phase where we're seeing a lot of nonprofit leaders specifically kind of being stuck in is they're going from awareness to being active. Um, and that I think is when you make the intentional decision to set about an action to be more inclusive. So whether that's a board who is recognizing that a strategic goal that they have is that in this next year, they're going to bring three more women onto their board or they're going to like make a board who is 25% more people of color than they used to be. So they're setting an intention to go about some course of action to get to a place that's more inclusive. So I think it's setting an intention that takes you from awareness to being active. Because now that you know it's an issue, now that you know that you're going to be a better organization, a better person from being more inclusive, you need to decide what are you going to do to get there. What are you going to invest in to do that? Are you going to invest in outside training to come to your organization so that all your staff are better informed? Are you going to start a book club within your own organization and have thought-provoking discussions around an issue that's impacting your organization, whether that's an issue of race or income inequalities? What are you going to do in the next six months, in the next 12 months, to ensure that you're no longer being ignorant because you don't have that excuse anymore. When you weren't knowledgeable about something, then you did have the excuse that you just didn't know better. But at this point, you do know better. Um, so you have to set an intention um, and create an action that's going to allow you to be in the path of being more inclusive. Great, great. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I think of being active, it's, you know, staying, not staying on the sidelines is actually getting mm -hmm. out there and playing. So and again, going back to asking questions, the uh, idea of curiosity in the workplace, but then also bringing yeah. uh, folks to the table to ask questions as what can we do to, to move this forward and create policies mm -hmm. um, and do things that are going to improve the environment for everyone around us. So that's great. Yeah. So one of the final stages in this spectrum is being an advocate. It's where we all strive to be. Um, it's taking awareness and being active to a whole new level within the workplace. Xavier, what do you think are some ways that we can be more than active and actually be advocates for, um, for a more inclusive environment? This is like my favorite stage um, is talking about advocacy because that's a moment when you're standing on the ledge you literally just have to jump. You just have to let go of all the fear and know that it's going to be okay. Because when you're an advocate, you're going to make decisions that are not popular because a lot of people have never navigated this circle. Um, so one of the favorite things that I read recently is the Baltimore Museum of Art. So they did a study and they found that over 80% of the artwork that they had belonged to men. So in 2020, they made the intentional decision and honestly a very radical decision in the art world that they are only going to accept work into their permanent collection 
that were made by women. It's that kind of letting go of fear and saying, you know what, like, we can't do these baby steps anymore. Like, just making a show that has female artists is not enough. We have to do something that's going to radicalize this conversation of art, this sector that we're in. What can we do that says, you know what, we're not afraid to do things differently anymore. We know that we haven't done the right thing for a long time. And if we keep baby stepping it, we are going to also be taking a very long time to get to where we now know we can go. So letting go of fear and making decisions that are unpopular um, and just being kind of experimental about the actions that your organization takes or that you take is really how you go from being active to being an advocate. Because when you're an advocate, sometimes you're just standing by yourself in the arena and you still got to fight the battle because a lot of the times when you're advocating for someone, you're advocating for people who are going through the ringer day after day after day. So sometimes you have to be the loudest voice in the room for the people who are the quietest, not because they're not strong, but just because they're tired. So I think being radical and letting go of fear in a way that is positive, and which is why I really liked at the beginning when we were talking about finding practical ways to find joy in life is such a unique thing to want to give to people. Because I think it's the same thing with being radical and fearless is you're trying to make decisions that are saying, you know what, like you might have that mindset, but that's not the mindset that I want. Because I know that the mindset that I want is going to be a better future. You know what, my friend circle is going to be more inclusive. My work life is going to be more inclusive. And in being more inclusive, I'm going to be a happy person. Absolutely. And when I think of an advocate also, and you mentioned this, it's acting with this sense of urgency, right? It's understanding that, as you mentioned, people are tired, people are exhausted. And as Mm -hmm. an advocate, as a leader, you are stepping outside of your own comfort zone uh, to make some decisions that might not be popular with everyone. Um, But the one thing, especially for businesses and other organizations to think about when being an inclusive leader is you can constantly make adjustments. So there's sometimes this fear that if we try something or if we experiment with something new um, for the sake of inclusiveness, that it's taking away from someone. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily the case. We're actually adding value to the environment. And if we see that it's not working, we can always make adjustments along the way and pivot. Um, And that's the beauty of organizational leaders that um, are willing to step out of their comfort zone is they're willing to pivot on the fly and and create new innovative ideas and use creativity to, to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think you're also talking about something really important, which is the idea of innovation. And so what better way to bring innovative thoughts than to add new voices to the conversation? Absolutely. And one of the cool things is we, you know, there's a bunch of research studies now that are showing that diverse and inclusive and equitable teams actually outperform their competitors in the business world. So uh, sometimes there's, you know, you, people want you to make the uh, the business case for something. And, mm-hmm. it's, you know, hey, if you just want to look at the bottom line, it actually shows there as well that businesses that have more diverse teams are outperforming their competition that, uh, right. that don't have diverse teams. So, It's pretty cool to see that. Um, Cool. So 
Xavier, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm super excited to have you on and very excited to see that everything that you're going to be able to contribute, not only to our community uh, in the next year, but for years to come. I think you have a lot to offer, man. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jamie. I appreciate you. And I am really happy to be a part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And thank you to our listeners for downloading the Behaviorist podcast. And we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and Productions, ask questions and suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. And with that, we'll leave you with a quote from Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy. When we remove ego, we're left with what is real. What replaces ego is humility. Yes, but rock-hard humility and confidence. Whereas ego is artificial, this type of confidence can hold weight. Ego is stolen. Confidence is earned. Ego is self-anointed. Its swagger is artificial. One is girding yourself. The other is gaslighting. It's the difference between potent and poisonous. Thank you. Mm -hmm.